Hello and welcome to Live, Laugh, Eat, episode three. And today we are talking all about food rules, which is really hard to say with a Bristolian accent, rules. (laughs) And the reason I decided to talk about this today is because chances are, If you are currently dieting or you've dieted in the past, you've probably got some rules around what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. But if, like me, you spend a bit of time in the fitness space, the social media fitness space particularly, you'll know that there is also a lot of talk right now around intuitive eating, toxic diet culture, And that basically food rules are robbing us of our ability to trust our body's internal cues. So if you're reading both of these messages, you might be feeling confused right now and thinking, well, which one is it? Should I have food rules or should I just eat whatever the hell I want? And well, if I eat whatever the hell I want, I just seem to gain weight. So do I actually need these food rules? But sometimes the food rules might feel too much. So Between flitting backwards and forwards between these things, how do we find moderation and balance? And what the hell is moderation anyway? Like I can remember years ago actually typing into Google, what is moderation? What does moderation look like? Because nobody really ever defines it. And it can be really hard to find that balance for yourself. So yeah, in today's podcast, I thought we would chat through all thing food, all things food rules and work out how we decide which of these food rules are helping you and which ones are harming you. So to help me do that, I've got Lucy back for this episode. So hey Lucy, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> ah, so Lucy is looking, not that you can see, very fabulous and refreshed right now because she has been away at a spa for the last couple of days for her partner's birthday. So are you feeling as fabulous and refreshed as you look right now, Lucy? (laughs) I don't think I look that fabulous. So Laura told me that my skin was looking nice, but I think it's just sweat. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been been to the gym. So I think it's just I've got the the sweats. (laughs) The post-cardio glow. We don't sweat, we sparkle over here. (laughs) But how was it? Did you have a lovely spa trip? I did. Thank you. It was very nice. Yeah, very relaxing. Um, And yeah, if you know me, then the best thing about being in a hotel is the buffet breakfast. So I very much enjoyed that as well. (laughs) Oh, I love a hotel buffet breakfast. I always, there's like this real moment of apprehension before I see the pastry selection that's always my thing. I'm like, what are the pastries going to be like? Um, yeah, there's got to be a good pastry selection. There was a there was a donut wall. I think when you went on holiday last, you posted about there being a donut wall, and and uh, that's I mean that's a good sign, isn't it? Having a donut wall at breakfast. <laughs> yeah, if you're picking donuts off the furnishings, you know, <laughs> you know you're in a good joint. <laughs> <laughs> I love a spa hotel in general, though. Do you know what? I actually love spas so much. I've joined one by me. So I joined for the gym, but the actual gym is rubbish. So I go there and do like, it's it's fine for cardio. So to make me do cardio, I actually go there and do my cardio in the morning. And then I can use like the sauna and the hot tub afterwards. And it is the most fabulous way to start the day in my robe, taking full advantage of all of the lovely products that they've got. I'm I'm getting my money's worth. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you know what happened this morning, actually? This is such a random story. We've gone off into a tangent anyway, but I was shook. (laughs) So this morning I was in there getting ready, doing my, like, I'd I'd had my, like, sauna and I'd had my shower and I was doing my makeup by the mirrors. And this old lady walked past me to go in and take her shower. And I said good morning to her. I'm one of those people that says good morning to everyone, which when you're in London, people don't like that. They look at you like you're some sort of weirdo. I don't think people in London say good morning to each other. But anyway, here in Bristol, good morning. She said hi. She walked past me to get into the shower the door shut and then I heard what I'm pretty sure was a wee. <laughs> you know, in the like, shower? Yeah, like, you know, like that splashing, like, you can't mistake it, can you? If someone's having a pee, you know. And the irony was, right, this woman, she looked just like Mother Teresa. <laughs> I thought, how do you like for? I said hello to her. She walked past the toilet cubicles. Like, that's not normal behaviour, is it? You don't pee no, in public. Oh, no. <laughs> I I don't I don't know how to react right now. Um, I, yeah, um yeah. <laughs> like peeing in the shower, like I'd be lying if I said, right, in my adult life, here we are, confession time at 35 years old. I've definitely peed in a pool at some point, and I've definitely peed in the sea at some point. <laughs> I've never no, I've never done either of those things. You've never peed in the sea. No, oh, no. God. I've never peed in a pool either. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. no. Because weren't you told when you were younger that if you peed in a pool, it would go purple around you? Do you remember that? Like, I don't know if it's an urban legend or it was just something that people, or if it was a true thing that if you peed in a pool, the water would turn purple. I can confirm. I mean, this wasn't recent, guys, by the way. Can we just clarify? I'm not like, I'm in your pool right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, as a child, I definitely peed in the pool. <laughs> Nothing went purple, though. But anyway, I mean, a fancy spa shower, like... I mean, there's, like, there's being comfortable, and then there's that, isn't there, I think? You must have known that I could hear as well. She, zero fucks given yeah. by Mother Teresa on her way into the shower. I mean, but yeah. how how old was she? Like, probably touching 80, Okay, I think maybe it's like when you get to that age, you just don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... I mean, she she wasn't the best at walking and it was a way back to the toilet. So, yeah, maybe I can't blame her. Yeah. <laughs> she just... Oh, well, yeah, she's, she'd walked past the toilets and she was like, do you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're supposed to be talking about food rules, not old oh, yeah. ladies peeing in the shower. So I'm sorry I took us off on that tangent already. So... Yeah, big topic. And I thought, I'm going to go straight in, actually, Lucy, with a big question. Do you think, and this is super broad, do you think we should have rules when it comes to food? Um, A very big question. And I think it's probably not as clear cut an answer is yes or no. I think it's one of those answers where it's going to be, it depends. It depends on the type of rules you're talking about. I think um, rules in life in general are good things, um, but there's a time when that can go too far. And I think it's it's exactly the same. So I'm going to say yes, um, but there's always kind of 
a little bit more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And I completely agree. I I do think we should have rules when it comes to food. But I prefer rather than rules, I actually prefer the term like guidelines. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm working with clients, I like them to think of the difference as imagine rules being like a cage that it keeps you in. Whereas I like to see like guidelines as more of a scaffolding that's going to help you. And the idea is you might need some rules and structure and routine to learn things. But the idea with the scaffolding is we can take it down and it's there at the end. And that's very much my kind of approach to things. But I think sometimes like some of the women I work with, especially the clients that have had really sort of strict rules when it comes to food and really sort of strict ways of eating we transition towards something more intuitive I think for some of them some of those rules are so deeply ingrained they actually don't realize that they have them yeah definitely. they're subconscious so let's start then by talking about these really extreme food rules and <laughs> I I know that throughout my life I've definitely had some real extreme ones in there and some real bloody ridiculous ones that I look back on now and I go what on earth like (laughs) remember when you used to do that so Lucy what are the stupidest food rules you've ever had uh do you know what I think a lot of them relate to and I'm sure I'm sure when you start mentioning them the the ones that you had I'm sure I'm gonna say oh yeah no I did have that one too (laughs) oh yeah no I did that but a lot of them were related to whatever fatty diet I was trying out at that moment in time so and a lot of them like I I didn't understand I think this is a big thing as well I didn't understand why I was doing them or why I was following them it was just like oh well yeah no that that makes sense at the time so for example one of the diets I would do would be like a detox diet and I think it was the Carol Vorderman detox diet. Do you remember that? Well, that rings bells. I can't remember exactly, but that's definitely ringing some bells right now. I think it was when she she sort of she did countdown, didn't she? It was it was that was the program she was on yeah. countdown, and she one day she sort of came on the show and she looked really amazing. Do you remember that? It's like she kind of had like a full makeover and she restyled herself, and then all of a sudden the Carol Vorderman detox diet was a thing and it was like no oh my god it was like no joy it was no (laughs) no no gluten no dairy no I feel like I, I, I can't even remember oh no sugar no caffeine um, there was a lot of no's <laughs> and it was kind of you could only have certain foods I was gonna say what could you have um so, so I remember having um for lunch I remember having smoked salmon really bougie <laughs> smoked salmon on like caviar, caviar. caviar. <laughs> and oysters <laughs> um <laughs> On like Rivita, that was allowed. I remember having that. Oh, Rivita um, really had its like heyday, didn't it? Mm. I remember I used to, yeah, I used to be big on Rivita. It's, it's cardboard. <laughs> it's really grim, isn't it? I can't eat that. That's. Yeah. <laughs> 
it really is it just kind of like saps all the moisture out of your mouth it's really it's it's not I don't know how it's still going I honestly don't know like who enjoys it like that's a genuine question like (laughs) Who enjoys it? Like, how are, I'm sure the only reason people eat Rovita is because they think it's diet friendly. I don't know anyone that enjoys a Rovita. No, I certainly <laughs> didn't. I really didn't. Um, honestly, I can't remember. The, I think, like, just vegetables. Vegetables were okay. I remember dates were in there. <laughs> um, and I remember you couldn't have chocolate, but you could have carob. Have you ever had carob? Yeah, it's not chocolate. <laughs> oh. Tell you what, vegan chocolate has come a long way, hasn't it? Like, um, yeah, I'll tell you what. Actually, a lot of vegan products now are great compared yeah. to what it used to be years ago. Yeah. That um, in itself, actually. Now, I'm not saying veganism is a food rule, guys. Sorry to interject, Lucy, but I have known clients in the past come to me for coaching that are vegan because it helps them to maintain their weight. It's not actually for ethical reasons, because once they start to learn that, oh, actually, I can incorporate some other foods um, and manage my weight, I don't need to restrict all of these things. So even stuff like that can be ingrained in someone and they don't really realize why they're doing it. Yeah. And it's having that rule as a, a means of control, isn't it? Yeah. It's. And I think that's sometimes where it goes too far. It's like, you do have to ask yourself, do I actually enjoy my diet? Am I actually enjoying, am I enjoying munching on this Rivita? Mm. Or am I doing it because I can't trust myself around a loaf of bread? I think that's you know? it. The rules, like one of the things I always say to clients to look for is, am I in control of this or is it in control of me? Mm. Because I think that's the difference between something potentially being quite toxic versus not. Like if something if you're only doing something because you're petrified of getting fat if you don't do it then it's in control of you like one of my big food rules that I had was I didn't eat after six o'clock for years years I didn't I mean sometimes I did but if I did it was because I got so hungry that I couldn't control myself anymore and then I'd feel terrible for breaking that rule um because I just didn't understand energy balance and I didn't understand that actually you know your body doesn't just need food when you're going to go and burn it off your body's processes take energy your brain takes energy um stupid one that I see all the time that clients have when they come to me is no white carbs yeah and I had that one for a long long time like no bread no pasta no donuts, no cookies. And I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> like if somebody says, I want to lose weight, I'm going to cut out white carbs. It will absolutely help <laughs> in the short term. You will lose weight. But what happens when you bring them back in? And then yeah. very often, you know, somebody gets a sniff of a cookie or a sniff of that food that they banned or is off limits. And before they know it, it's not just like one cookie. It's a whole massive bag of cookies. And then that might trigger like a binge that, you know, you start going through the cupboards looking for other things. So um, here, like not just white cars, but just no pasta, because people often say that like, oh, if or when I eat pasta, I gain loads of weight. Yeah. Pasta gets a really bad rap. Yeah. And the thing is as well, like now we understand that, you know, scale weight is impacted by so much more than just how much body fat you have. But the problem is, is when, if you eat, for example, if you eat after 6 p.m. or if you eat a big bowl of pasta and you get on the scales the next morning, your weight will be up. 
but that doesn't mean you've gained body fat. Like, actually, if you're eating later, there's no, there's no pleasant way of saying this. Like, you haven't crapped it out yet. <laughs> I probably could have said it nicer than that. But you know, you haven't. If you haven't pooped, like that weighs something. I'm not suggesting anyone weigh what the poop weighs, but it will weigh a decent amount. Um, yeah. I think that's. I, I think that's probably where the kind of like no carbs after dark kind of thing and yeah. I mean that's that's one isn't it I mean that's one we've we've all done like no carbs yeah at night um which is so ludicrous because it's like in what time zone as well like if you're flying do you know what I mean <laughs> and <laughs> in which time zone do those carbs count like you cross over a time zone and then your body immediately stores it as fat like <laughs> shouting down the air hostess <laughs> Shouting down there, I need to get my meal in now, hun. Hurry <laughs> up. Orders. <laughs> but I think that's probably where it came from, right? Because, yeah, if you eat a carb-heavy meal, you're, you're going to gain probably weight on the scale, but that's not fat. That's going to be, like you said, like food volume in your actual system, um, an increased amount of glycogen in your muscles, in your liver, all of these things. Um, again, carbohydrates, not to get all scientific, but carbohydrates are stored as glycogen and they're stored with water. So that's going to be some water retention as well. But I think that's probably where it all came from, right? That's There's yeah. got to be something behind it. People eating these big carb heavy meals and like right well the scale's gone up so therefore pasta makes me fat yeah yeah that's it and that I, I think that's one of the the things I would say because we run an eight-week group coaching program it's a fat loss program and one of the things that we teach very early on in that program is how to use the scales and actually what your scales mean in relation to you and anybody that's new coming into that program or their way of coaching that's one of the first things we get back is, oh my God, this has just completely changed the way I see my body weight. And I realize now, like we try and remove the emotional <laughs> attachment from the scales and we try and get people to see that actually what happens on the scales, and I'm go I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I'll bring it back. Um, <laughs> but what you see on the scales is going to be a reflection of everything you've done up to this point. So it's not, you know, I do this thing for this day and I'm immediately gained weight. I do this thing for this day and I've immediately lost weight. The problem is, is that people are impatient and, and dieting is not nice, right? So people cut the calories down for a few days and expect to be paid for that immediately on the scales. And I always say you have to think of it like working overtime. You know, if you come in the next day and the money's not in your bank account, you don't tell your boss to F off. <laughs> you wait until payday at the end of the month. And it's the same with the scales, right? But I think once people start to understand, oh, okay, it's a process over time, it starts to make people realize, well, actually, I don't need to cut out carbs. I don't need to do these things because my weight will come down eventually. And I actually always say to people, what you're doing today, expect that to reflect on the scales two weeks from now, not the next morning. And I know what it's like because you can have a really good day and it's a lot harder to stay in a calorie deficit than a surplus. And you can diet for what feels like an eternity and the scales don't move but you can overeat for one day and they seem to go up and they will. It makes sense, right? If you think of your body like a Tupperware container, if you put in more stuff in it, it is going to weigh more anyway, regardless, like the size and shape of the Tupperware has not changed. You've just put more things in it. 
obviously you keep putting more things in that work. Tupperware is a terrible example, actually. This analogy has gone south because it's plastic. But if it was a pillowcase, you keep stuffing stuff into that over time. It's going to stretch and change shape, right? And that's kind of what happens with our bodies. That was a terrible analogy. We won't be whipping that one out again. We just brush that under the podcast rub. <laughs> I liked it. It made sense. <laughs> In my defense, it's late, it's it's late. We're recording this one. <laughs> so um yeah, I've not I've not had my carbs. It's after six. Clearly my brain's not functioning. Um so those are the real like silly food rules, I think. And people I do think are starting to understand, right? Actually, I can eat a variety of foods and it is about energy balance, and I can eat after six and I, I can eat a bit of sugar. And I think people are starting to grasp that a bit more, which is great. But I think the introduction of flexible dieting and calorie counting and all of that stuff is actually bringing in some new rules for people. And dieting in general, right, it will have some rules. Like if you want to lose body fat, there's going to be an element of restriction there. And it can take various different formats. But I think sometimes the problem with the kind of if it fits your macros approach and the calorie counting is because people see it as flexible dieting, in inverted commas, they don't realize that actually sometimes they're not being that flexible. Yeah. Um, so I think the hard part is knowing, right, how many rules do I need? What rules should I have? Um, and, you know, it, we're very much talking in the context of dieting, but like when you're not dieting, should you have food rules? So Lucy, neither of us are dieting currently. I know you've recently dieted for a photo shoot, but neither of us are dieting now. What food rules, if any, do you have when you're not dieting? Just trying to maintain your weight. I actually think having, and again, I don't like you, I don't want to say rules. I'd say having some structure really, really helps when you're trying to maintain your weight. Um, Because the one thing, and if any of my clients are listening, (laughs) the one thing that I always say is, your, your diet doesn't have to be sustainable, but the things you're doing while you're dieting should be. Mm. Because if all you're doing is just eating less and you're eating the same foods that you've always eaten, you just eat less of them, then yeah, you will lose weight. But what happens when you start eating bigger quantities of those foods? If those foods, if all you're eating is say, just like crisps for breakfast and packets of hobnobs for lunch. It's crisps for breakfast. <laughs> Maybe was that one of my food rules? I don't know. <laughs> Even that, like, actually, like, I've just jumped in and gone, who eats crisps for breakfast? The food police might be going, well, like, that's a food rule you're giving yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can eat crisps for breakfast <laughs> if that's what your intuition leads you to. <laughs> I mean, we we did, we did both say that we enjoyed the donut wall at breakfast. So. <laughs> um, but, I mean, let's say all you're eating is... And again, I'm so used to kind of like now with the fitness industry saying like there's no good or bad foods. I don't want to say it, but quote unquote junk food because everyone knows what junk food is. If all you're eating is junk food and you've just reduced that and then you go back to eating higher quantities of junk food, then you will gain the weight that you've lost. You, You will put it back on. So I think having some structure while you're dieting and having some certain rules in place are good is good. Um, and keeping that structure when you're not dieting is also good. So for example, 
are you filling your day with plenty of things like fruit and vegetables? And that's something that I will do when I'm dieting and when I'm not dieting. That's that that's a constant. Um, so something like that is definitely that is a huge part of my day. And I wouldn't say it's a rule because I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I think that's that's the key thing here, I think, is it goes back to what I was saying about are you controlling it or is it controlling you? And mm-hmm. I think having the thing about having structure, which is effectively a rule, like I have some of them, I'll share them in a minute, that I use to manage my weight, whether I'm dieting or not. I think the thing about a structure is you can choose whether you implement that or not. So, for example, when I'm on a holiday, my eating behavior looks very different to when I'm at home. That doesn't mean I eat myself into oblivion when I'm on holiday and I've lost control or anything like that. Absolutely not. But if I decide I want to eat donut wall for breakfast when I'm away, I will give myself permission to do that. Yeah. So for me, that's really the the key thing here is in the permission you give yourself to break yeah. it. And um, I think as well, something that's really important is how you feel about those actions. Hmm. Because if if you're doing that on holiday and then it's just leaving you you with a huge amount of guilt, there's probably something that you need to address there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's the issue, I think. That's when somebody has food rules and kind of not wanting to dive into it too early. But with the intuitive eating framework, when we take people through that, the idea is that you start to get people to stop listening to these external food rules and stop start challenging what they call the food police. So that little voice that gives you the guilt and the shame and start to tap into your body internally and how it actually feels in response to foods and actually tap into your hunger. And it's amazing, actually, the amount of women that I work with that when we start to go through this process are so out of touch with their body's hunger signals. So, Mm. so out of touch with them because they've been ignoring them for years. And I mean that on both ends of the spectrum, like they don't know when they're hungry, like they struggle to recognize those low levels of hunger. So the first little signs of it, like if you're thinking about food, to some extent, that is a sign of hunger. Like if I used to say, oh, I'm always thinking about food. I'm just one of these people that loves food. And I do. I absolutely love food. I'm always happy to talk about food. I am the biggest foodie, especially cake, especially sweet stuff. However, my brain is not consumed by food in the way that it used to be. And that is because I have allowed myself periods of time not dieting. Um, And that includes, by the way, periods of time like for some women, they go, well, I'm not dieting, I've gained weight. And like, I've, you know, post show, for example, post competition is a classic time for this. Or Mm -hmm. when somebody's like reverse dieting, and they've gone, well, you know, I I was told if I was too lean, and if I gained some body fat, that I'd stop thinking about food, and I've gained the body fat, and I'm still thinking about food all the time. And it's like, but are you still psychologically dieting, even though you're not physically dieting? anymore Mm -hmm. I think that's a really big thing because you can be gaining body fat every single day and berating yourself for that in your head and every single day clutching onto these rules and really because if you're doing that again if you're listening to that little voice you're not tuned in to what's going on internally Mm -hmm. so I can't remember I went off on such a bloody tangent that I can't remember how how I've come to this point but I guess what I'm trying to say here is that the key skill for me is being able to 
tune into yourself internally and combine that with some structure. So you've got the power to override the structure, but it's coming from a good place. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like for me, intuitive eating, like actually when I go through the intuitive eating process with clients, I don't actually use the full registered trademark version of the model. What I do with people first is I teach them about nutrition. I teach them nutrition principles because I think saying to someone, just trust your hunger and removing everything, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, your appetite will calm down. It will go. Down. And, but most people, they, you know, if you give them full permission to eat, they'll eat, start to gain weight and panic. And then they, they check out of the process and I don't blame them. And then yeah. that put, the port of call is to go, right, I'm going to do a really restrictive diet again and hop back on that. And that's not what I want you to do. So, you know, the first step for me is actually getting somebody to relax whilst having the safety net of dieting, not dieting, but some rules and structure. And we teach you about nutrition and then gradually over time, we start to transition away from those things. Yeah. Because I think with intuitive, intuitive eating, like you said, you are giving yourself that unconditional permission to eat. And actually what happens when, when people do that, you might see that they'll gain weight. But you have to really trust that process because your body weight will settle over time. And again, like you said, you'll stop craving all these foods and you'll stop eating as much. But it's it's that can be really a very emotional process for a lot of people, especially if they are the people who have kind of dieted their whole lives. And to actually just say to someone, no, trust me, just, you know, gain this body fat and, and just stick with it and it will come off actually you know a lot of people aren't there yet and and that's okay so like you said you have to give them that safety net yeah I think if you're thinking about removing some food rules because you're you know listening to this podcast and you're thinking yeah I do have all of these rules actually like I can't eat this after this time and I don't allow myself to eat this type of food and um what I would say is maybe don't give don't have to unpack all of those rules all at once you could just try one of them first of all like I always think I like to use the little analogy of a caged hen with my clients so <laughs> stay with me on this one so if you imagine a hen that's been like locked in a barn in a, or in a cage you know for like a battery hen its whole life when you open those barn doors that little guy is going to run out and completely lose his shit right he's going to be running around everywhere but the longer he's allowed out he'll just peck and roam like he'll get used to his pen and he'll start to chill out but the problem is if you try and let him out too quickly and then keep chucking him back in the barn because he's freaking out like every single time those barn doors open does that make sense? He's going to keep losing his shit. So what I always say to clients is, right, let's look at these food rules, which ones are putting the hen back in the cage and let's start to unpick them gradually. But knowing that actually when you release a food rule, you're going to lose your shit a little bit, maybe. And that's okay. And that's normal. I, th I think that's it's so interesting, actually, that you said that about people who've got a lot of food rules, because I think that's something that it it may have not been the kind of rules of cutting out all white carbs but I think there was definitely a period of time when I had too much structure and not enough flexibility at all and it was like you know you tell me to eat 200 grams of carbs a day that's what I'm eating it's not 201 it's not 199 <laughs> you know and it's <laughs> and I was like picking out the flakes of oats on my breakfast <laughs> to you know right to kind of like 
um, put it into my fitness pal and make sure everything measured up perfectly as if freaking pepper so that it comes in exactly a hundred grams up in there. Um, and I see that actually, you know, when I'll I'll watch people's videos on YouTube and stuff and they'll cut up a bit of onion and they'll throw the rest away. And it really upsets me because I'm like that. That's that's so sad that but it upsets me because I've, I've come from that place and I did that. I you know, I was like, really upset about the wasting of onions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't put that onion in the bin. <laughs> crying about it <laughs> no um I think that's a that's a really good point actually because people call it flexible dieting and I see the most unflexible like you might have flexibility in your food choice or think you're flexible because you let yourself have a bit of cocoa pops well done bro but like they're so rigid when it comes to macros and like one of the things that I'm doing more and more with clients now and bearing in mind if if anybody's listening to this and thinking of extreme diets like competition prep or when we're talking about fueling like high level athletic performance, because let's face it, the way some coaches talk on Instagram about fuel your training, pre-workout carbs, I'm like, she literally goes down the gym and does like three sets of eight for five different exercises and goes home. Like we don't need to, you know what I mean? She's not trying out for team, team GB, <laughs> like chill out, hun. Um, <laughs> But, you know, if if you are competing and somebody's getting down to, like with my bikini competitors, I am much more meticulous with this stuff and I will be much more prescriptive. But at the end of the day, if you enter extreme physique sport and you don't want food, like you ain't getting to stage intuitively, like you're not, that's not what I'm talking about here. For most people wanting to just lose a bit of weight, you can do that and, and you know, lose fat, tone up that's what most of the women want to do that come to me for coaching. You can do that with just a protein and overall calorie target. You don't necessarily need to be worrying about carbs and fats and splitting hairs and cutting bits off your food, you know, and actually for most people now, I set them a calorie range, not mm. even a daily calorie target. I will set them either a weekly calorie target um, or I'll say, I'm plucking numbers out the sky here. Your calorie range is 1,800 to 2,000 each day. And oh my gosh, just relaxing that gets such better results with people because human behavior is an amazing thing, isn't it? I think sometimes you take the pressure off because again, if your macros, if you're looking at your macros, and I've been there actually and done this where knowing I am not going to hit my macros for the day has triggered a binge. Like that, yeah. that has happened. You know what I mean? Like I get too hungry, I eat a meal and then I look and I'm on 1700, I'm pulling numbers out the sky again, 1700 calories. And I'm like, well, I'm on 1750 now. So like, fuck it, I'll start again tomorrow. And that's no different to being on a really rigid meal plan and eating a food that's not on that meal plan and then going, screw it. Like, what I encourage clients to do in that scenario is like, even if you're not going to make your calories for the day, that's okay. doesn't matter. We can either still work to weekly energy balance or what I want you to do in that moment is tune in to how your body's feeling right now. And I teach them some, some of the stuff from the intuitive eating framework. Like let's do, let's do a body scan, hunger fullness levels. Let's look at where you're at. 
Do you need more food later on? Have you allowed time for that food to digest? Do you understand how to rate your own hunger? So rather than just looking at it like that and going, oh, I failed. And then what they tend to find is that actually, you know, just by giving somebody that little bit of flexibility to go over, they might then go 300 calories over for the day instead of the 3000 that it would have been if they thought they were a failure and binged. But yeah, 100%. have you ever experienced anything like that, like being way too rigid with your macros? Yeah, I, I did, did for a long time. And it was kind of, yeah, like I said, it was, I think it's the fear of what would happen if I went over. I did, I, I wouldn't, to be fair, I wouldn't binge or anything like that because I wouldn't go over. I wouldn't allow myself to go over, you know? And even if it was like, well, I'm going to have an off-plan meal where I wouldn't track it, I would track it in my head. I'd know what it was, you know? And it was like, and I'd allow those calories deliberately. And it was too much control. And I think I needed to go through a period of time where I just didn't track altogether to help myself kind of like understand that nothing terrible is going to happen. <laughs> nothing, And I can trust myself because sometimes I think, whilst it is good to to give people a safety net and a lot of people need a safety net I know for myself I actually just needed to throw myself in the deep end and go well you know what the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to gain weight and that's not that bad and you know and if I do gain weight I know what to, to do about it but I need to trust myself that I know this stuff and that I know how to fuel myself and I think for me the only way of doing that was getting rid of my fitness power and not using it for a long period of time actually yeah yeah it's interesting actually that you say there that you know you're not afraid of gaining weight and I know that me and you are going to do a whole podcast on weight gain actually but I think that's something yeah. that we both share and that's something for me that I will forever be grateful to competing for in the sense that I so I make no secrets of it I had an eating disorder that was fueled by the fact that I was terrified of gaining weight Mm -hmm. and it was only once I started studying nutrition and understood nutrition that it put that control and that power back in my hands because you don't have to fear gaining weight when you know how to control your weight. It no longer controls you. But the really cool thing about competing that came out of that for me was that it forced me to eat because I'm, I'm competitive. <laughs> and when they told me in 20, I think it was 2017, that you need to, you need more lats. Like if you want to place, you need bigger glutes and bigger lats. So as soon as they told me that, I was like, right, I will be coming back with those lats and those glutes. And I did in 2019. And I won both my shows in that year. But the reason I was able to do that is because I was not afraid to eat all of a sudden because it had a purpose. And I think actually, you know, I love seeing taking women through a gaining phase and actually pushing that food up in a controlled manner because there's a big difference, right, between putting in good nutritious foods every day to get a high calorie count and having a high calorie count because you've just lost your shit around food and and you're you know you're not fueling yourself properly. Um, and I love and I think the cool thing that comes from that is you start to realize actually I can eat quite a lot of food before I gain weight. And both yeah. you and I have been through that process. And I think that's really liberating. And, and I don't know about you, but I really feel like that transformed the way that I think about food and my body, because I know yeah. that, you know, if I gain a little bit of weight, actually I have to eat quite a lot to gain weight. Does that make sense? It's, 
it's quite surprising actually because with when I decided not to to track anything I really decided not to track anything like I didn't weigh myself either and so every so often I kind of forgot about how how much I might weigh but every so often I'd be like oh I'll just weigh myself and I know it was a, a real surprise because I'd get on the scale and I'd be like oh <laughs> nothing's changed <laughs> and you know and it, you kind of almost need to to prove it to yourself because you know I think it's quite interesting when, like you said, you do eat a lot of food and, and it's kind of that, that fear of like that I had before of going a gram over on my, my carbohydrates for the day. Like what did I think was going to happen from that, you know, mm. from four calories or something. The craziest, yeah. The craziest bit of that is as well, like, by the way, if anybody's listening to this and doesn't know this, like calorie counting as a system is flawed anyway, because food labels can be by law up to 20% inaccurate. So obviously what a food manufacturer is going to do in a society where they know everybody's health and calorie conscious, they're going to label it at the lower end, right? So chances are you're stressing about all these grams and that they're actually nowhere near the real numbers anyway. And even with like, you know, unpackaged foods, like how do you know that that banana's had that much sun exposure? So it's at that level of ripeness. So it's that many grams of carbs. You don't, these are ballpark figures and calorie counting is a system. Yes, you should try and be consistent in your system, you know, and I, and we teach clients about, okay, this is how you can track things without like, you know, being super meticulous with everything, but still be consistent with it. But, you know, for example, you might think that you're on, 1800 I keep pulling out this number we're just gonna roll with 1800 you might think you're on 1800 calories a day right but the amount of calories that's actually coming in could really vary some days it might be 1900 some days it might be 1700 and you're getting stressed out because it's not matching up on the app but what's actually going on inside your body might be completely different anyway for that reason and when you start to think of it like that and start to embrace it as okay I can't be completely sure of this anyway like that should help you relax around stuff because it is just a process that if you follow over time, you know, if we do reduce calories, they'll reduce, but that might not be the actual number that's going in, if that makes sense. That's something I tell my clients and I and I always say to them, like, I'm not telling you this stuff to scare you or to make you feel worse. I'm telling it, telling it to you because you're never going to be accurate anyway. Yeah. And I think that's the same with, the calories that you're on each day how do you know that your body is using that many calories you're, you're you know you're not you're not a machine like your body's going to have different calorie needs depending on what you're doing each day so that's going to change anyway yeah. so you know i think that's part of the beauty of like you saying sort of tapping in a little bit to your hunger levels and kind of tuning into that and and sometimes you know if you are having these rules you're allowed to break your own rules. If you're on a certain amount of calories and you're starving hungry, eat something, yeah. <laughs> have something to eat. Yeah. Do you know what I said? This is, this is another one that I use with clients actually that works really well. And I've got, and you, if you follow me on Instagram, you might've even seen like very often on stories, I'll share like screenshots of messages on WhatsApp and stuff from check-ins. But sometimes as well, like one of the things, and I, I've definitely done this, We can almost do this thing where we go, right, I'm on this many calories. This is my budget. 
So I'm going to spread it across six meals of the day, or I'm going to have three meals and three snacks. I'm going to eat at these times because if I don't, I'm going to get so hungry, which is right in, in theory, right? Sounds like a really sensible strategy. But if you start tuning your body out because you're starving hungry, but it's only 11 o'clock and you've scheduled lunch for one o'clock, like when I start getting clients to the overeat or binge to track it back, it's because at some point they've ignored like warning signs earlier in the day. And it's their own rule. They could have broke it at any point. They get so scared of like getting hungry later on that they like calorie hoard. And so I always say to clients, like, don't be a hero. Sometimes, actually, if you can just move away from that fear, like there's no getting away from it, by the way, if you're in a calorie deficit, at some point you are going to be hungry. There's no getting away from that. But I've even seen people do it when they're at their maintenance calories, right? Or they're on higher calories. They might even be gaining, you know, I might have them in a slight surplus and they're still overeating on that because they're not tuned into that hunger. And yeah, I sometimes get messages where I just heard your little voice, Laura, saying, don't be a hero. And I had a bigger meal when I actually got hungry and then my hunger switched off and I didn't think (laughs) about it until later in the day. And I hit my calories and it wasn't a problem or I actually came in under my calories. Um, Because our bodies don't, like, again, if you can work with your body's natural hunger, of course have the structure there if it's helping you, But yeah, don't be afraid to break that on odd days. But that's a really, sorry, I went off on one then a bit, but that's a really common one that I see actually. Mm. But like you said, it is good to have that structure. And I think that kind of coming back to the point that we said before about actually how much food you can eat and maintain your weight, there does have to be some level of structure there. Because like we were saying before, if you're just eating all of those calories in let's say ultra processed foods which are very very calorie dense that don't particularly fill you up then it's probably not as sensible as giving your body the thing it needs <laughs> like some some more nutritious foods let's say yeah um so i think within that there does there probably should be some level of structure but it's it's about that control isn't it yeah. whether it's controlling you and if all you're eating is let's say quote unquote clean foods because that's another rule that a lot of people have then that's probably not great for other reasons either yeah yeah and I actually said this on the last podcast with Nat we were talking about it and for me when we talk about health like people very often eat these super clean diets thinking they're healthy but are completely neglecting their mental health side of things and forgetting about you know if you're scared to go out to eat with your family friends because you're on your clean diet like that can't be good for you from a mental health perspective either but yeah yeah, I definitely think in kind of looping this back full circle to what food rules we have now like I definitely have some food rules now whether I'm maintaining Mm -hmm. or not and whether you want to call it structure whether you want to call it guidelines whether you want to call it rules I definitely do have some like a big one for me is that I don't actually keep bags of like sweets and chocolate and stuff like that. But as a, as a general rule, actually, I'm going to use the term rule because I think this is the other thing, right? People are so worried about causing people eating disorders in the fitness industry now that they do feel like they have to over-explain themselves. And I do it sometimes. And I know I'm a coach that really cares about people. I had an eating disorder. I would never wish that upon anyone. I'm getting a bit sick of having to like 
caveat everything I say, if I'm being honest. So I'm just going to say it. So I have a general rule that I don't have stuff like that in my house. Now, I realise that I'm very fortunate that I live, well, it's not fortunate that I live alone. (laughs) Well, maybe it is. I quite like living alone. But you know what I mean? Like for some people, it's not that easy, right? Because they do have to have those kind of foods in the house for the partner, kids, whatever. I get that. But for me, that's just a general rule because if it's in the house, despite the fact that I'm a nutritionist, despite the fact that, you know, I know what I should be eating, I'm also a human being. And I can tell you now, if I've been working long hours at my desk and it gets to the end of the day and it, like, I will just grab that bag of Revels out my cupboard and sit on the sofa and eat them, like, because they taste so much better than vegetables. <laughs> you know and it's so much less effort but if it's not there I can't do it and and but this is the big difference I don't ban myself from having that stuff it, if I want it I have to just go to the shop and get it so it just puts that little pause point in for me to think about it enough to go right eat your nutritious meal then if you still want it nip round to Tesco get yourself a bag of sweets and live your best Netflix life on the sofa so that's a definite rule that I have so I'm I'm just nodding along because <laughs> we we don't keep that stuff in either to be honest um, because like <laughs> I love nothing more than sitting in front of a movie and just just picking at stuff actually I love that and I will eat it all yeah. <laughs> and I won't hate myself for eating it all I won't feel bad about it but I just probably don't really need it. Well, if I eat every day, I'm going to get fat. Like it's the most simple. Like if I do it every day, I'm going to get fat. I can't defy energy balance. I I think as well, and again, it it comes down to kind of this change in the fitness industry, and you feel like you almost you have to kind of apologize for certain things, or you know, and and actually, do you know what? I really like eating fruit and vegetables. I really like it. It makes they make me feel really good, actually. And as much as I really enjoy going away and and last week being away in a hotel and eating donuts for breakfast and having afternoon tea and stuff like that the pair of us myself and my partner were like do you know what really want some I really want some fruit and vegetables you know like I really want a salad because that food makes me feel really good and it makes I notice a difference in things like my training and my training's really important to me um I don't I don't think the gym is my personality I think that some people in the fitness industry might be thinking otherwise and telling me to get another personality but I like training and I like I like it when my training goes well and I know that my food influences my training a lot. Um, so actually, yes, although I could have all that food in, I, I I know that it's better for me to go and get some fruit fruit after dinner and eat that. Yeah. And that's nice. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think that's it. And there's a lot there's always a lot of talk, isn't there, at the moment about self-care. And for me, a big part of self-care is just that, what you've just said. It's the actually it's not giving yourself what you want all of the time because you know who doesn't want a donut (laughs) I will always want a donut if you offer me one the answer is yes I I don't think I've ever turned one down you don't have to be hungry to eat a donut right but sometimes it's saying no to that donut knowing that you'll feel better for that overall sometimes self-care is forcing yourself to eat fruit and veg and protein when you would rather have a piece of chocolate cake knowing that 
you're probably going to feel better for that later down the line. And I think that's one of the skills that I work on with clients is getting them to reflect on how they feel after eating food. So not just whilst they're eating them, but an hour after eating them, two hours after eating them, and then paying attention to portions. Well, how much of that feels good versus doesn't feel good. And I know that too much chocolate doesn't make me feel good. Yet, I, you know, I still can't necessarily enforce that moderation around it because it does taste fantastic. So I just have to put that little pause point in for myself. And I think sometimes this is where actually, you know, clients have come to me that want to transition away from tracking and stuff. And actually some of the intuitive eating messaging can be a little bit toxic in the sense that it's really... I have no problem with the actual model and people that teach it well. And you've realized there's so much nuance and there's so many caveats to it. But the problem is when people pick up bits of it on social media, they misunderstand it. Um, Mm. And you also get a lot of people misrepresenting it as just, yeah, just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And it's not that simple. Mm. Um, So yeah, like moderation isn't that simple, but I do think a real good question to ask yourself is how is this making me feel? overall not just in the moment but afterwards and your weight is a factor in that I think not your scale weight I mean how when I say your weight I mean your body how you feel in your body like because I stand by this all the time said it in the first podcast looks matter and life's too short to go through it hating yourself do you know because you you want to lose some weight like yeah yeah um, I think, and I think that's it. It, it. A lot of people miss the point, don't they? It's because you could just, well, just, yeah, just eat whatever you want. But if you're, if you're miserable doing that, yeah, then no. <laughs> yeah, And that's it. And, and by default, like intuitive eating is a weight neutral approach. So the whole idea, if you go into intuitive eating is that you're going to essentially ignore the way that your body looks for a bit. But for some people, it's too hard and they might never be able to do that because they're, they're, it's so deeply ingrained. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think also, you know, like I I don't intuitively eat because um, I am trying to change the way my body looks. Like I'm, I'm constantly trying to grow muscle, you know. So if you're, if you're trying to um, change your shape, if you're trying to gain muscle, you can't really intuitively eat because – that there's another rule right I am trying to get a certain amount of protein each day to help me do that yeah. um if you're trying to get something it's like me going right I I need to get to London never been there before never driven this far. I'm going to intuitively find my way to London I've got a terrible sense of direction <laughs> I can tell you now I'll end up in Land's End <laughs> wondering where the tour buses are like what you do is go out onto the road and just feel the way (laughs) (laughs) it will come to you you might you might spend some time going in the wrong direction but you'll get there just trust yourself I might end up in London if I trust myself but this is actually I'm going to build on this 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 analogy is building now in my mind are you ready it is that actually if you spend the whole time looking at Google Maps trying to find the most optimal way, you might stress yourself out a little bit, but you do need to glance at it sometimes to just check you're going the right way. And that for me is the relationship I want my clients to have with tracking, calorie counting, nutrition and everything. I always like the yeah. bank balance analogy as well, actually. Like 
again, I don't think you have to pick a side. Like, that's the other thing with this stuff. We're talking about the extreme ends of the spectrum. You don't have to either count calories or be intuitive. You can do both. You can dip in and check things sometimes. Like, I don't track macros every single day necessarily but you know what if I put my clothes on they feel a little bit tight or I look in the mirror and I think you look you're sitting a bit thicker than you have sat for a while I'll just track my food for a little bit just to check where my calories are at I won't go on a full-on diet or anything like that or if I'm noticing that I feel a bit groggy or I have pushed things a bit too far like I've been on a holiday and I've been eating enough fruit and veg tracking for a couple of weeks is enough to bring me back on track in the same way that I would check my online banking more frequently if I'd been spending a lot. Like when I moved house into this flat, like Jesus, I'd buy all my furniture, everything. My outgoings were much higher than they would normally be. So I needed to just keep an eye on that a little bit more. And people have no problem with, you know, checking the bank balance, looking at the price tags of things. Yet you switch that for calories and sometimes people lose their minds about it. Um, I don't think tracking is a problem. I don't think rules are a problem. I think your relationship to them is the problem or not the problem. Yeah, definitely. And whether you can kind of stop them if you want to yeah. as well. Yeah. I think, I mean, we've nearly touched an hour already and I feel like once again, we've barely scratched the surface because we've, I know. there's definitely another podcast needed on this because you're probably thinking she promises me all these things in the introduction. <laughs> And I don't get any answers. But, you know, if, if anybody is struggling with this stuff and they are struggling to kind of find their way and they're not sure, should I be counting calories? Should I be eating intuitively? If, generally, if your nutrition and training is causing you some sort of stress in some way, you're more than welcome to pop me a message. I'm never going to try and force you into coaching or anything like that. Like I'm a terrible saleswoman anyway. But I do just want to help. So if anybody is ever listening to this, please you know, feel free to message me on Instagram is probably the easiest way to get hold of me or drop me a message through the website. So it's at Girl Gains blog, or I'm, I'm just going to throw you in Lucy at Lucy Girl Gains as well with it. That's game. I was going to say, yeah, please. Uh, yeah. Anytime. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's never a problem and it's never a trouble to answer people's questions. Like that's, yeah. that's what we do and that's what we're here to do. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, to summarize on this one, I think we're both kind of of the same opinion that actually some food rules isn't a bad thing but don't be afraid to break your own rules and as we said like you need to decide is this rule overall making my life better or is it removing quality from my life and if it's removing quality from your life then that's something that we need to work on anyway thank you lucy for joining me today and thank you everyone for listening and we will see you in the next episode.